Welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you have any questions during this time, please drop those questions in the chat. We will make sure that we get to those. Uh, but either way, whether you're watching it live with us or you're watching the replay later, we're so glad that you're here. Steve, we are reconsidering some core values today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in the book, Next Wave, there's kind of the framework for this cracking the code of 21st century ministry conversation we're having. I talked about 12 shifts that um, the, the 21st century church leaders need to make away from sort of the emphasis of the 20th century. And uh, as I was thinking about those 12 shifts and writing the book, I, I realized I cannot overlook how in the 20th century, we sort of orbited around a set of what people called values. You know, every, anybody that's been through a church planner training or a revitalization, any, any church organization stuff, you're going to hear about mission, vision, and values. And so values is a big deal. And values are super important because they actually answer the why question. Why do we do what we do? And, um, and, and in the 20th century, there were, there were a set of values. And I want to emphasize up front, they weren't wrong. Um, but they sent us in a direction that maybe isn't any longer as, as helpful in the 21st century. And so, for example, um, man, if you went to any website, even today, many churches, the, one of their first top core values is going to be excellence, excellence. And, and again, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. Excellence, doing things well, honoring God with how you do stuff is great. Um, and so, you know, the idea was, we have to do everything with excellence. And, but what ended up happening was because of the kind of overemphasis of the 20th century church on the, the, the attractional, the gathered church, how many people show up on Sunday, it, that shifted um, uh, in, in the 21st century to being more oriented to what is the church doing out in, in the community. And what, here's what's weird is excellence kind of got tagged to making that Worship experience, super excellent. So all the money, all the resources, everything were poured into that to make it the best, like the best deal in town, the best communicator, the best worship band, the best experience, you know, fog and lights, whatever. Um, and and so the, the, the challenge with that is th that is hard to replicate in a lot of places where the church really needs to be present, like in underserved communities, rural communities, places we call the hard places. Um, uh, tr making that the core, the, the, the front thing, making that the first thing is try to have an excellent worship gathering uh, that will attract people to Jesus, which is, which is a good thing to do, but, but that, that isn't always possible. And, and, the, and the, probably the bigger problem was that value actually kind of kept us from going to the hard places because it's hard to go to some of these hard places with, you know, the, the kind of cost and investment that goes into making everything quote, excellent. And, and weirdly enough, uh, it, it pivoted us away sometimes from obedience. You know, God is calling us, Hey, go to this hard place. And we're like, yeah, that's, that's not our thing. We don't do that well. So we're not going to go there. We'll let somebody else do it. And everybody's letting everybody else do it. And nobody goes. And so that's just one example. And, and in the book, we talk about five or six shifts that, that are in that one shift of shifting from this to this in terms of, of core values. And here's the thing, to help us think about this, I think we need a framework for evaluating our values. I think Paul Durbin um, has helped us with a book that he just, he just came out with called, uh, I think it's When Jesus Stole My Bread. Is that close? That's Am right. I right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, well, hey, Steve, uh, I, I, let me let me let's set this up because I want us to introduce Paul and his wife, yeah. Patty, here. I want you to do that. But, you know, when you were talking, it just reminds me of something Jesus said about old wine and new wine and old wineskins and new wineskins. He said, you know, I love it stood out to me this year when I was reading through it in Luke. He said, no one says the old wine is bad. So we're not saying the old models are yeah. bad or that they were right. off. No one says that. No one says the old wine is bad. Right. In fact, right. if you if, uh, if you're a connoisseur, you'd say it's good. Uh, but uh, it's just not going to work for what's next. Right. It's not going to work for the new. And we've got a leader on this call, a church planner in Boulder, Colorado. He is a next wave, a new wine kind of guy. He's uh, he is riding that wave big time. And so I know you guys go way back. Uh, I've had the privilege over the last year uh, reading through the gospel with Paul and uh, just uh, so I feel close with them. But uh, I know you're you've got even more history. So I'd love for you to introduce Paul yeah. his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jason. And that that was such a, 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 a excellent insight. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we the old wine was good, but uh, it isn't it is what, what, what we need going forward. And yeah, Paul and Patty, uh, man alive, uh, they they have had quite the ministry journey. Uh, and so the summary of it is from Beijing to Boulder. And there's a dead grandpa involved in this. So uh, <laughs> why don't you guys I'm kind of fill in the blanks of that story for us today? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we had we had the pleasure of leading this international church in Beijing, China. Um, it was recognized or at least tolerated by the government. And um, we had uh, 70 some nations represented, a few dozen denominations and probably about a thousand people on a Sunday morning. So we had this luxury and privilege and joy of just doing big church, you know, with a, with a great Sunday morning, people commenting every Sunday, wow, this must be what heaven is like. And that's what we felt too. Like, man, we have landed in heaven. This is perfect. And then, yeah, God just started to move on our heart. And long story short, we really felt compelled and asked by the Holy Spirit to move to Boulder, Colorado. And that would have, so we made that move in, um, when was it? June of 2019. So six months before COVID hit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did, I mean, is there any, is there any practical explanation for why Boulder? I mean, you're in Beijing, you're, I mean, what? Well, uh, yeah. was there any connection? Had you ever been? We there? had never been to Boulder before. We'd only been in Colorado maybe twice, just kind of passing through and stuck because the airplane couldn't get through Denver. Um, so yeah. no, it was the Holy Spirit. So, so at the time, yeah, it seemed completely, completely out of the blue. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like the Holy Spirit took a dart and threw it at a dartboard and just like, okay, that sounds like a good place to go there. Um and even when we moved here, it still felt very random, yeah. but, you know, we couldn't deny that God had been speaking to us stronger than he spoke to us about even going to China. I mean, it just like, yeah. okay, we can't get away from this. Either we're losing our mind or the Holy Spirit is, is doing something. But yeah, what, you know, so as far as the dead grandpa thing goes, <laughs> um, so we, we were here, you know, COVID hit and we started realizing, okay, that's why, that's why God did the timing that he did because mm -hmm. um, when COVID hit, the church we were leading has not met in the way it has met since January of 2020. So yeah. it's, it's going on two years where things have been totally, totally different. 
you know, just changed and upheaved um, in Beijing. But yeah, th- there was a um, a tragedy that happened just down the block from us at our at our supermarket, um, King Supers. Uh, a gunman came in, killed ten people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them we knew personally, and so it really rocked us. Mm-hmm. And but the day after that that happened, I have a cousin in California named Dan, and he is the um, self appointed. Uh, uh, ancestry uh, researcher of our family. He just kind of does it for fun. And he reached out and he said, hey, with Boulder being in the news, it reminded me of something. He says, did you know that our great, great grandfather is buried in Boulder? <laughs> and I, you know, I literally laughed out loud and I like started talking, you know, you know, or messaging each other. And he gave me the directions to the plot. And we, we drove to it, but it's it's maybe a 10 to 15 minute walk from our house. Um, I found my great, great grandfather's plot and it goes through the maternal line. So that's why we sort of lost track of it. My dad doesn't even know. And uh, so we we went from feeling like we were these, these outsiders, these, these crazy people that just kind of came here from Beijing by way of North Dakota, Montana, and here we are. And then we realized like, we're local. <laughs> we've got we've got blood here in the city. We've got um, we've got a plot of land in the city. It's you know it's only six feet by like two feet, but but our family owns property right here in the heart of Boulder. So that was super encouraging, you know, in an odd way. Yeah. But in the mix of everything that was happening and us still feeling like, what are we doing here? Um, it was like the Holy Spirit's way of saying, no, I've had you here for generations and welcome back. Yeah, yeah. So, that is so cool. You're, you're more local than the locals. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> we actually found his old house, too, right beside the main street of Boulder. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So grandpa wow. had a great little spot. The only way to get to his house is through an alley. <laughs> But, you know, Boulder being Boulder, his house is now worth a million dollars. You know, yeah. I wish he would have kept it in the family line. That been- <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, the, before we talk about sort of the culture of Boulder, because that's part of the story and it's part of why you wrote the book, I think, even. Um, the There's another part of your story I think is pretty amazing. And, you know, because Boulder is crazy expensive. I mean, it's probably almost San Francisco level crazy in terms of the cost of living there. And, you know, many times that becomes a barrier for people going to places like this. Like we can't even afford to live there. How are you going to start a church, you know? And, and that was a, that was a problem you guys faced. Um, Like how, how can we afford to live there? Uh, So it's, but I think God had a plan. What, what was that plan? Yeah. I'll tell that part. So we, you know, as we admitted in our spirit that we started talking, we God is calling us to Boulder. We need to go there. We just need to obey this call. Um, and it looks stupid for us to come to Boulder. Um, you know, as we started to research Boulder, we realized the cost of living here was through the roof, you know, and, and um, we have a family of six and actually through COVID we had seven. Um, and um, so we, we just started praying, Lord, where, where are we going to live? How are we going to do this? We've been, we've been missionaries for 11 years. You know, we didn't have a big savings. And, um, you know, we just prayed and I, we started looking in the little towns around Boulder and in our spirits, we just kept feeling the Lord was saying, no, if you're going to reach Boulder, you have to live inside of Boulder, you know, and stop looking around. I'm going to take care of this. And so we got to the place where, you know, we had already announced to our church, we were leaving and um, we got to the last couple of weeks and we had had to pack up all of our stuff, you know, and send it, 
to the United States, you know, by way of a slow boat, you know, and <laughs> from China, slow boat from China, and we put on it, Paul and Patty Durbin, Boulder, Colorado, no address, you know, and um, thinking, well, it's going to take two months or so before, you know, we can get our stuff. So we'll just land in Boulder and start looking for a place. So we were sitting in our empty place in Beijing and we get a call from a friend yeah from the church yeah so that guy in the church and uh he he said that he and his wife had been praying and he says i don't know what your plans are because we weren't telling everybody hey we don't have anywhere to go you know we, <laughs> that was a little embarrassing so he said i don't know Seems what irresponsible he said know? yeah he said i don't know what you're thinking basically but we've been praying and we want to buy a home in boulder and we want you to go pick it out for us um we'll pay for it it'll be our investment but we want you to live there so, you know, I, 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 we laughed like kind of, we like, laughed for days. We I, laughed for days. It literally the felt, stress it felt, was gone. I, I can relate to Sarah now, you know, when she yeah. laughed, when God said, you're going to have a baby, she like <laughs> laughed and like, we were the same, like, we were like laughing. Yeah. So we, we get here and I'm a little incredulous, but we, we found a real estate agent and we picked out a house and we sent pictures of a few choices and we asked them, they said, you know, we said, which one do you think is better for you? And their response was, um, Hey, this is not about us. They said, which one is better for you? So we said, well, we like this one. He says, all right, we'll buy it. (laughs) So they bought it sight unseen. And two years later, they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. We're we're just living here two years later. Um, They won't let us pay utilities. They won't let us. Oh my goodness. So it, it really is a miracle of God. And we know every day when, you know, in the, in the times when it's tough to be here, you know, it, we just have a sign that we're still living in a miracle every day, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah, well, I want to just give a shout out real quick, Steve, to those that are just tuning in. Uh, we're on the exponential hub right now, live. Uh, if you're watching it later, thanks for tuning in. We're with uh, some missionary church planters. We just heard a miracle story. If you're watching live though, and you've got some questions, maybe like, how do I get a house for free? <laughs> uh, then go ahead and drop those in the chat. I'm not sure we'll be able to answer that one, but any others as we move forward, as we reconsider some core values here, uh, I'm Jason Bowman, part of the Next Wave team and uh, author next of Next Wave, the book, Steve Pike here, church planner, uh, church planters, uh, Paul and Patty Durbin in Boulder, Colorado. And Paul, when we first uh, talked, and it's been about two years ago, I think you were pretty fresh on the ground when you and I first connected and we were talking about what does it take to reach Boulder and uh, I think, you know, you, you again, are that next wave kind of leader because uh, that was right when we were talking with Steve about uh, his book and, and, and launching the community that we got started there. And um, I remember talking with you about how like the moment Belay Church, which is a great name for Boulder, great name, you know, the moment Belay Church smells anything like 20th century evangelicalism. And again, no one says the old wine is bad. I'm not saying it's bad. We're just saying the in Boulder, the moment you smell like that, you'll be forever irrelevant for to everyone you're trying to reach. And so yeah. you, even pre-pandemic, were going at this as a missionary mm-hmm. with some different kinds. You had some, you had some pillars. You had some different values in place than what a lot of churches were built on 50, 100 years ago. Uh, in North America. And so I'd love, I'd love for Steve and you guys to unpack that as you move forward, because I'm sure there are some that are watching uh, whether they have a house or not, that they are, they're, they're feeling that tug 
to go to a hard place, go to a place that isn't necessarily looking for the next evangelical church to get started, but they're they're wanting. So there's, there's still some needs. There's still, so I'd love even how you moved into it. I know some of the pivots personally that happened during the pandemic, some of the way that you've really uh, funded yourself, but gotten become part of the culture. Uh, Steve, I'll give it to you to ask the questions, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's thank you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Let's, let's start with just how did you know that the 20th century approach would not be helpful in Boulder? Uh, what, what were some, how, how did you know that? How did you discover that? Having not been from there, you know, what, yeah. you know, I, I, I know I, I went to a conference in San Diego for, uh, CMN before we even left Beijing. And I, I, um, as I, as we were there, um, we were, we were, you know, hearing the the kind of the big launch model. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking that that was probably the only way to do it. That's Mm -hmm. just the way you do it. And I was very, you know, very ignorant, um, about the fact that there might be other approaches and Mm -hmm. somebody there. And I think it was, um, I think it was Jason, our friend in San Diego that was on our call that was on our uh, Jesus experience together. I can't remember his name at the very moment. Frank. But yeah, Frank. I believe I ran into Frank. I really do. And I think Frank took me aside and he says, you need to get a little Steve Pike. And yeah. uh, and so I made a connection with Steve and I guess the rest is history in, yeah. in that way. And I began to uh, just uh, listen to Steve. But also I was given the name of somebody. There was also somebody there in San Diego who had just been to Boulder. And he said, oh, it's so cool. You're going to Boulder. You have to get a hold of my friend. And I'm forgetting names right now. I, I, I only talked to this guy like <clears throat> maybe six months before we came to Boulder. And um I haven't talked with him since, but I called him and this guy happens to be a guy that his business is he goes around the country and he sells smoke and lights to new church plants <laughs> and he lives in Boulder. And he said to me, like he says, but honestly, he said, I, I don't want to sell you smoke and lights for a church in Boulder. He says, mm-hmm. if you come to Boulder, mm-hmm. he says, you don't want my smoke and you don't want my lights. <clears throat> you don't want my mirrors. You don't want my stages. He says, that's for other places in yeah. the country. Yeah. He said, if you try that in Boulder, it ain't going to work. You know, says, well, there's a big joke here. I just can't ignore it. Uh, <laughs> now we're going to press on. We're going to press on Colorado. It was, we're about smoke, wasn't it? It was yeah, it depends surprise. on what kind of smoke. Okay. I had to say, you set it up there, Paul. I can't <laughs> I ignore it when it's in there. Yeah. Okay. We'll say fog, fog machines. Fog. Yeah. Okay. Fog. Yes. That's, that's better. He, Thank you. Said, so if you're going to do this Sunday, big bang, um, he says, that's not going to fly in Boulder. He says, I've been here long enough to see people come and go. Yeah. And um, we got in touch with another church planter that has succeeded in Boulder, um, mm-hmm. came in 10 to 15 years ago. And they, he said he can count 50 church plants yeah. that have come yeah. and failed. Yeah. And church plants with a lot of money and with a lot of resources. Yeah. Right. You know, they had the whole show. They came in they with teams. Came in to do the basically the Sunday emphasis and the big wow and yeah. sending out lots of flyers. And they said they've they've watched him come and go. And I think I think actually this friend of mine, I think he's still watching me to see if we're yeah, going to come and go. Right. Yeah, he is. But um, yeah. yeah, so the, through these different channels, whether it be Steve, whether this guy that sells the, the fog and light machines, yeah. you know, for various churches around the country, yeah. or through this other church planner here in Boulder. And not only that, but just the Holy Spirit. Just, yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. While we were we were sitting in those meetings, and they were great, and the things we were learning were wonderful. But in my spirit, I just remember feeling that the Holy Spirit kept speaking, no, 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 no. This is going to be organic. Yeah. This is going to be more of a birthing. This is going to be 
you know, waiting and praying and, and seeing one at a time, we're not, we're not trying to draw from other churches. There's not a bunch of people here looking for a new church in Boulder. Actually, they don't want the church in Boulder and they're pretty turned off by any thought of a church in Boulder. But I just felt in my spirit that the Lord said, no, this is going to be more organic. It's going to be one at a time. It's going to be people being born into the kingdom. And the attraction has to be Jesus. Jesus has to be Mm -hmm. the main attraction. Relationships with him. The true Jesus, you know, the real Jesus has to be the attraction because um, modern evangelical Christianity is not attractive to people in Boulder. It's repulsive. It's repulsive. You know, they're truly disgusted by what, you know, whatever you consider to be modern evangelical American Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, They're past it. You know, they've moved on. And um, so I, I like to say sometimes that Jesus is amazing. It's just that, unfortunately, he's had a terrible PR department mm-hmm. the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. So yeah, so some of the, I'd love to hear. I, I love that. And I'd love to hear what some of the, I mean, what you're talking about, even one of in, in chapter 10 of Steve's book, he talks about one of the shifts away f- as we reconsider core values, that one of yeah. the things that we have to reconsider is going from, Bible centric to gospel centric and, mm-hmm. and which is a focus on the person of Jesus. I'd love to hear what are some of the other things you've been there two years uh, embedded in the culture now, a part mm-hmm. of like, what are some things that are uh, surfacing as you're uh, learning to be part of Boulder? You found out that you got history there that, that, you know, you're feeling at home there. You feel like, yes, this is where we're supposed to be. You're living in that miracle. What are some of the cultural uh, things that you feel like, yeah, we, as a church, as the people that are following Jesus in this culture that we can build on, that we can't, it's not just going to be attractional. It's not just going to be come and see our big light show or whatever. Uh, and I, I'm a huge fan of big shows, but I, yeah, but that being said, that may not work there. What, what are the things that you feel like that are working? Where do you feel the Holy spirit? What are you inviting you into uh, as you've exegeted the culture now over two years? People, uh, you know, make comments on they do, they they love conversation. Um, yeah. They love uh, relationship. Yeah. Um, they, you know, people have commented on the love that they feel when they're here mm-hmm. in our home for a meal. Yeah. Um, I had we had a young young guy. He's got a Muslim background. Um, he grew up going to a Quaker school. Um, his parents are just kind of nominally Muslim. And he's got a crazy background. But I remember the first time he stepped in our door and he sat down at our table for a meal and there was probably 10 of us at the table. Some of us, family, some of us, you know, people from the community and this young guy's name is Sammy, um, S-A-M-I. Um, that's his given name. So he, he, he just said, okay, I just got to say something. And he's kind of got the attention of the whole table. He said, I've never been in an environment like this where I feel so much love and so much acceptance. And he said, I've never experienced this before. And he says, I got to stop before I start crying, but I just wanted you all to know that, (laughs) you know, we all look at him. Well, that's cool, Sammy. Thank you. And, you know, it was kind of went on with our conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, um, you know, yeah, I think Boulder uh, people that we're meeting are, I think that's what takes them aback. That's what catches their breath is the ability just to be in a conversation with somebody who is not uh, quick to say, judge them or correct yeah. them. Um, listen first. Just just to listen <laughs> first. Yeah. There's a huge, yeah. huge thing for us. I, I spent the day yesterday with a young lady who is a lesbian 
And we've been reaching out to her for more than a year, met her at work and she, she's gotten to know us and come into our house. And I, she said the first time she came into her house and realized oh, these are Christians and they're serious and, you know, expletive, expletive. I can't believe what, what, what. she's like all uncomfortable. But then she started to realize that we were accepting her and we loved her as she was, you know, and, and so we've gotten deeper and deeper in conversation about Jesus. And we've been telling her how much he loves her and about the father and his heart for her. And she's still not quite there, but she says, you know, a year ago, I would have called myself an atheist, but she says, now I'm, I'm actually more of a spiritual uh, agnostic. agnostic. Yeah. And she (laughs) says, I, she goes, my friends can't believe the change in me. You know, her friends back in yeah. California in different places, they can't believe the change in me. But she's still wondering. She said to me yesterday, so if I never accept Jesus, are you are you still going to be part of my life? And I said, wow. yeah. 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 Jesus sent us here to love you and your friends and people like you. And, and so um, we're still walking that. We're walking a fine line between grace and truth. You know, she yeah. knows that we don't believe that her sexuality should lead this decision, you know, but she also knows that we're going to love her, whether she decides on Jesus or not, you know, and I believe that's what Jesus came to do people. And, and I see a Jesus who's never in a rush. He was never in a rush to win people into the kingdom. He walked with them for three years and his disciples didn't really know who he was, you know? So, yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of love and a lot of patience and a lot of compassion that needs to be shared in Boulder. Yeah, that's so good, Patty. You you said earlier when when you had that moment at the training event you were at where you felt like the Holy Spirit said it's going to be organic, not whatever the other is. Um, I think what you guys are doing right now is you're describing what organic looks like, and it's mm-hmm. it's sloppy and it's messy and it's yeah, hard it's to messy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to measure. Like you know, being patient with people moving forward. Um, you know, it's hard to know, are we really making progress or not? But I do know, like, I just saw an article about you guys uh, in a publication where they mentioned that you had had 1500 meals served in your home. It's hard to, I know I I counted it up and I was like, that is not possible. (laughs) But But she has a a calendar. I keep lists, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But what that, but, but that very practical thing and, you know, it, it didn't happen in, it wasn't like one big event. It was oh. a, a bunch of little tiny events, mm-hmm. but that, though, that table, that presence, that invitation, bringing people into your life is, is what opened the door for this young lady you're talking about and others that you guys yeah. are serving um, to, to move toward Jesus. And, um, and I think that's just so important. And, and that's part of what I think uh, you, you know, you just, you also just mentioned the, the, uh, there's, there's a tension between grace and truth that we have to walk and it's just not easy to do. And it's kind of easier just to get on one side or the other and, and live there because everything's kind of black and white simple. When you get, when you live with the, the tension of grace and truth, um, it's a lot more difficult. It's, it's, it's more challenging. And so I, I know, that's kind of, I think that was part of what Paul kind of motivated you to write this book, When Jesus Stole My Bread. So why don't we start talking about that? Because I want to, I'd like to uh, give people, I, I think you guys have a framework. Okay, Jason's going to help us. I just yeah. want to give a shout out to anybody watching this live on the Exponential Hub here. We're trying to crack the code of the twenty of 21st century ministry by reconsidering some core values. And, uh, and Paul and Patty Durbin, church planters in Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> been there on the ground for two years. 
uh, you're doing that. Uh, and you've, you have written a book, uh, Jesus stole my bread. And I want to hear about that. Uh, also, if, if you could just maybe even rattle off a few more things before we move on. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of the people watching right now are church planters also, or they want to be, or they haven't, they're doing that. Yeah. I, I heard some practical things. Okay. I'm not going to do just a big invite to a big service, but, but I'm going to serve meals in my home. What are, if you could even just give us some bullet points real quick and then, and then please, what I'd love to hear more about your book, but if you could just give us some bullet points, cause I think a lot of, a lot of people, that's where my questions are. Okay. Then what do you do? What, uh, what do I do once I have the conversation? What do I do, uh, when they're asking for a prayer, what do I do? You know, and I know, I know you've got some inroads into the community, Paul, uh, I, I won't, I know them, so I won't steal them, but uh, why don't you go ahead and just rattle off a few that, uh, that you have felt led to begin to do out into the community. Yeah. Well, I would, so I'll start with what our, what our church looks like right now. Um, yeah. We did not start with a Sunday experience. Um, that wasn't the main thing. We started with a Friday night neighborhood dinner, we call yeah. it, where we just invite people. So that was, that was our first foot forward. Let's start inviting people to our home for dinner. Mm-hmm. That was Friday night pandemic hit. And so we thought, well, we better start meeting for church on Sunday morning because we, we can't go anywhere else. So we started meeting um, on Sunday morning at our house. With um, our family and our small team. Yeah, you know? I think our first service, March 15th, whenever COVID hit, was our family. <laughs> um, and then, you know, people, other people started to trickle in. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the third thing that is really core is we do prayer Thursday yeah. mornings. Yes. Um, we do a prayer online um, half of the Thursdays of the month, the other half, we do a prayer walk. And um, so those three things, the neighborhood dinner, the prayer, and then the Sunday morning, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what our, I guess our gathered church looks like at this point. But um, yeah, as far as, you know, making conversations, um, I, I gleaned a lot, not only from Steve, but also from a book called um, Contagious Discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about this, these, this, this progression of conversations where you start with the casual and then that casual conversation, you know, you're, you're knowing their name. And I mm-hmm. kind of get that from Steve and they know your name. And then you mm-hmm. develop, then you move into the meaningful area of conversation. Meaningful would mean maybe you know their story and they know your story. And then you go into <clears throat> spiritual conversation. And spiritual conversation is where um, I like to say you lift off the filter that we often use when we leave our church buildings. You know, in church, we talk about God and Jesus and what God did and how he answered prayer. But we filter that when we go out in the public, you know, and why not remove that filter and talk to people that don't know Jesus as if they do, um, saying, well, this is what God did for me. And then after spiritual, it goes into what we call like a discovery conversation where we're actually referencing, you know, Bible and verse. And here's a story I read in the Bible the other day. And, and, and I just make it a matter of prayer and encourage those in our community to think about those four levels of conversation with anybody they meet and hoping that they can move people from meaning from, from casual to meaningful, to spiritual, to that discovery Mm -hmm. um, conversation. And we're there, you know, like with uh, this, this girl that Patty talked about with Sammy that I talked about, we kind of watch that progression Mm -hmm. sometimes faster, you know, than others, sometimes slower. Um, Yeah. So that's what it looks like in a practical way. But we also really believe in having a platform. You know, we were, we worked many years in China and, you know, when we were in China, we realized you have to have a platform that makes sense to a community. To your neighbors, you know, and so um, 
call, you know, um, you know, he started a business. We didn't even mean to do it, but we started a business where we're renting out little campers. And that started just because for a a couple of weeks, we were kind of homeless in Colorado. So we bought this little pop-up camper. And then the next summer during COVID, we fixed it up and started putting it on a website and it started getting rented. And so that led to another and another, you know, little campers. And that gives us kind of a neat platform here in Boulder. Yeah. In this city where people love camping and love the outdoors. And yeah. so when Paul's outside working on these campers, people stop in our front yard and ask us questions and it, it leads to conversation and leads, it leads to invitations, you know? And yeah, that, that, yeah. that's so, yeah, let's talk about some practice. So, yeah. You guys are not just sitting in your house, no. <laughs> uh, you know, having Bible studies and hoping people come to your house to have dinner with you. You, ha- you know, what are some, pra- that's a good example of a practical thing, but there's other things you guys are deliberate about that put you in contact with people who you can have conversations with. What are some of those things? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I became a chaplain. Um, that was just a God thing as well. Um, yeah, not only you became a chaplain, but it's like the first one, right? Yeah. For the first team. There's a team yeah. of the first team. Yeah. yeah the first team. Boulder had ever. never allowed that in their police yeah. department. And all of a sudden they opened up. The, the county, the county, the sheriff, they had had a chaplain for years, but the city itself had never had a chaplaincy program. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah just, uh, just, uh, just, just the timing, perfect timing. I ended up being on the first team of chaplains. So that's, that's been a huge blessing yeah. being able to get a heart, you know, get really knowledge about the heart of the city. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a police officer that was shot and um, I got to pray, you know, the benediction invocation at the memorial um, service that the community had with the yeah. mayor and the governor and, you know, it's crazy yeah. stuff that yeah. God just opened up yeah. to us to get us linked to the, the heart yeah. of the city. Yeah. I got a job as a caregiver at a, you know, a, a place for older people, you know, and I, that just gave me opportunities to share with and get to know so many coworkers, which some of them are now coming to our house, you know, for dinners and, and um, yeah. So, yeah, I just think that it's kind of fun, you know, is we don't have to stay in the, Christian, you know, thing, we can branch out and find other ways of having a platform. And it actually causes our community to say, Oh, you're, you're really a person, you know, you're, you're out here and you have interests and. Yeah. And I can, I can, I can, I can say pastor last. So this is what I can say. (laughs) I say, who are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a chaplain. And usually instead of like people running away, they say, Oh, thank you for your service. So it's like an amazing thing. They still respect chaplains here. And, um, yeah. And, and awesome. you're a business owner. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. And, <laughs> yeah. And you guys, you guys are blowing up that, that old paradigm that is just not a- applicable, which is there's this, we all Christians have been kind of taught to think they're sacred and they're secular yeah. and the sacred happens sort of in the confines of the church and everything else is secular but I love it. I don't know where this came from, but it's so good. It's, it, it's not sacred and secular. It's sacred and sinful <laughs> for yeah. you as a believer. Everything yeah. is, is sacred, That's whatever right. you're doing at your job, at, you right. know, fixing up your, your uh, pop-up campers for rental, uh, being a chaplain, all of that sacred, as well as the Bible studies and the prayer and stuff, unless it's sinful. I mean, there, there is something we, we, we definitely do want to stay away from, but, but yeah. seeing, man, when the world, everything is sacred and just walking down the street and talking to people, that's part of, that's part of being on mission with Jesus. So powerful. So, so that brings you, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to give a shout out actually, Steve, for your book. Cause I, I honestly, the next wave book, uh, mm-hmm. when I said that Paul and Patty are next wave church planners to me, 
like so much of what you're describing is like chapter by chapter through the shifts that you articulated. And uh, if anybody's watching and they haven't leaned in, uh, they can grab that book, nextwave.community slash book. And uh, I think that link will be posted in the chat here, uh, talking about funding, different funding models, different discipleship models, like where we're not just talking about once you pray this prayer of accepting Jesus, now we'll train you, but really getting relational and building relationships and having disciples, unintentional disciples is getting very, very intentional with how we're influencing people. Yeah towards the person of Jesus. And, and so I just feel like they're kind of living out your chapters of the book, but I think where you're headed, Paul's also just written a book. Right. <laughs> right. right. And, 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 and again, inevitably, when you start having conversations with people outside the friendly confines of the church, you know, in the church, we, we the, the model is we stand up there and we tell everybody we don't we're we basically set up straw men and knock them down. And, you know, we we we, we control the situation. But when you're, you know, at the job or, or uh, you know, working with people as a as a chaplain or whatever, the situation is out of your control and what you talk about and the, where they're coming from. And they're not necessarily a receptive. They haven't chosen necessarily to talk to you. So anyway, that brings up this challenge of living out this, this idea of balancing grace and truth. And so just give us a quick flyover of the basic idea of the book. And then I want to get to your, you have kind of a, a uh, frame framework for thinking about grace and truth, Paul. So just give us a summary and, um, and then let's get to that framework. You bet. Yeah. So, you know what, I think of, I think of the um, John who wrote the gospel of John and considered to be the, the one that Jesus loved. And when he sat down to write his gospel, you know, he has, in my opinion, the most beautiful beginning in the beginning was the word, word, word was with God. And, but when he gets down to like, what is it? Verse 12, 13, 14, how does he describe Jesus? You know, what are his first really descriptive words? He said that he came from the father full of grace and truth. And those were very intentional words that John chose to use. He says, if I can boil Jesus down to two ingredients, what are they? And he says, he came from the father full of grace and truth. And I think that fullness of grace and truth is what made him so attractive to people who thought God wanted nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they fell in love with this Jesus who was full of truth. Mm-hmm. So they knew that what they were doing was not really acceptable, but the grace they saw in Jesus, in his countenance, in his words, mm-hmm. they knew that they were loved. Mm-hmm. And that's what made Jesus so irresistible to the, sin, to the sinner and so disliked, you know, frustrating to those who were, the experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, the book actually starts with that idea that we too are created to live at that intersection of grace and truth. But the problem is, is that we often tend toward one another, well, one or the other, right? We tend toward grace or we tend toward truth. Mm-hmm. And so this book, When Jesus Stole My Bread, um, I use an allegory of a grandfather and his grandson in a bakery. I use that to um, just paint this picture of what it looks to live at that convergence of grace and truth. So uh, I think some people pick up the book and they're they're a little surprised because it's not a typical um, Christian spiritual growth book. Um, it's it's an allegory, you know, more in the vein of uh, something like In His Steps or um, Pilgrim's Progress. 
And um, I thought I would try that and see if I can hopefully capture more imagination. And what people are saying as they read it, they said they, they find themselves able to kind of see themselves more um, as different characters come in representing somebody who's either heavy on grace or heavy on truth. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the overview mm-hmm. of what it is. That's good. And do you want to give away why you called it When Jesus Stole My Bread? Or do you yeah, want them so to- the, the main character is a grandpa named Emmett, but Emmett is the is the boy. He's he's grown up, you know. Now the years have passed, but he is the boy who gave his bread and fish to Jesus on the day when yeah. Jesus fed the five thousand. So he's grown up now, and his grandson, um, you know, views the story differently. So he says, "Hey, Grandpa, tell me the story of when Jesus stole your bread." <laughs> well, Emmett quickly corrects him. He says, "You know, you know, son, you got to understand. I surrendered my bread to Jesus. I gave it to him." But yeah. it's kind of a back and forth joke throughout the book. Um, and so the grandpa, somewhere in the middle of the book, says, "Okay, you know, when Jesus stole my bread, as you like to say." Um, everything changed for me. My life was transformed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I received his life-giving bread mm-hmm. and I got rid of my stale bread that's going to be bad tomorrow. You know, And, and that's yeah. what people will do when they read the book. They'll realize the bread they're eating is too grace-filled or too truth-filled and they'll reach out for truth, life. Yeah. That's Jesus. Yeah. That's great. I so, love it. And I want to, I just want to encourage anybody who's watching this live right now to drop any questions in the chat because when you talk about grace and truth, you talk about next wave, uh, inventive, innovating ministry in hard to reach places. Uh, boy, you're going to have some questions. What do you, it's going to get difficult. There's going to be, uh, and we're talking with uh, Paul and Patty Durbin uh, in Boulder, Colorado. So they're, they're on boots on the ground and maybe you're also boots on the ground and you would just... Uh, you know, you can uh, you can connect with Paul and even grab his book at pauldurbin.co. Uh, we'll post that link. But if you have any questions, go ahead and drop those in the chat. We've got uh, about 18 minutes left of this conversation today, uh, but we would love to answer any questions that seem to be percolating. Steve? Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, uh, let's let's talk about that. You you this framework kind of that that you think sure. you, you we we can compare you to um pilgrim's progress i think it was john bunyan and patrick linconi patrick linconi is notorious not notorious is well known for he kind of tells an allegorical story but there's this framework that he's getting you to that is very very practical and, and applicable and what is the framework that uh when jesus stole my bread kind of leads us to yeah, so I, I start off by um, picturing, you know, grace and truth at opposite ends of one line. So you have grace maybe on the far left, um, truth on the far right. And that's why we tend to struggle. We mm-hmm. think we, we view them as being um, incompatible, like either we are truth focused. Um, hey, it's, the, it's my way, the highway. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Um, or we are or we have to be grace filled. You know, we're going to love you, affirm you, accept you no matter what. And we think, how can we possibly combine them? So in the book, I, I draw a picture, if you will, of, of, a, of a two by two grid. And the top two squares represents belief that is high in truth and the right two squares are high in grace. So that makes the upper right square of that quadrant a place of grace and truth, is, which is where exactly where Jesus lived. And, um, and then the upper left, you know, would be somebody who's very high in truth. The lower right would be somebody high in grace. And the lower, lower left would be somebody without either one, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, so that's that's how we work our way through the book. And each one of those quadrants is represented by a customer that wanders into the bakery and they sort of typify um, somebody who's very legalistic mm-hmm. or somebody who's very, uh, you know, very into license, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who I say is very lawless. And um, so that's the basic framework, shifting our mindset that grace and truth aren't on opposite ends of one line, but they're actually this axis. And Jesus yeah. lives at that upper right corner of the <clears throat> axis of grace and truth. So, the, so sort of the label for each of those quadrants would be, I think lawless, is that the no, no grace, no truth? Correct. Um, yeah. What's what's the label you give for the all grace, no truth or all grace? No, I call that license. It's the bread license. of license. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's different breads. And then the, the bread of that's all truth and no grace is the bread of legalism. Legalism. Yeah. So legalism, and, lawlessness, license, these three breads, these are the breads we want Jesus to steal from us, you yeah. know, or, or better yet, we want to surrender to yeah. him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the bread, which, what's the bread that we want to be? Well, it has to be an L, right? So it's got to be, it's life. (laughs) The bread of life. Yeah. Oh man. That is so good. That is so good. And it's surprising, you know, when I started writing this, it's surprising how often bread pops up in scripture. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. Um, It's the first thing that the Israelites were given. They were given manna from heaven. Um, Jesus in the New Testament, the book of John, he says, your ancestors ate the bread and they died, you know, and here I am, I give you the bread of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, just mm-hmm. it kind of pops up in surprising places, this this picture of bread. So yeah. it's 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 a pretty important um, word picture for us to kind of wrap our minds yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. It makes How? me hungry, uh, but it's almost. <laughs> hungry, but. I've actually had people write. That's been one of the reviews. One of the guys said, this has made me so hungry for some fresh baked bread. But, <laughs> um, but also he said for the bread of life. And yeah. that, that was a yeah. good yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. So give us, give us uh, maybe a, a tangible example of yeah. each of those what that looks like in, in real life, maybe in real life in Boulder that you guys are seeing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, Patty, I mean, she can think of one or the other for the license. I think of the legalism quadrant. Um, we were, we were doing this outreach downtown Boulder where we were just offering, we had a sign up that said free prayer <laughs> and free tea and, so people were coming by the booth, you know, and they were, they were grabbing the free tea and we'd say, Hey, we're also offering free prayer and free encouragement. Would you like some of that? And, and most people were like very positive. Sure. Yeah. Why not? And um, so we would encourage them by saying a few things and then pray with them and just really, you know, making this positive awareness that Steve talks about. Yeah. And, uh, but it happened to be, uh, we were that we were there another time on election day and um, a certain individual lost the presidential election, right? And we had, a member, we, had a, we had a member of our team that was very disappointed in the election, but Boulder was elated. Your parties they in the were streets. partying in the streets. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking of the verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, right? That we weren't, but, you know, we weren't like, you know, clapping along. We were just still there to pray with people, offer free tea, offer mm-hmm. free encouragement. Well, one of the people on our team, uh, 
he saw somebody walking by and he said, hey, how you doing today? And it was a Boulder native. So the Boulder native said, this is the best day of my life. And the guy on our team was like, yeah, maybe for you. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so I walked over to this team member and I said, you know, there was no grace in my voice at that moment. <laughs> at that moment, it was time for a truth encounter. And I said, we are here to bless this city. We are here to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are here to demonstrate the love of Jesus today. We are not a political movement, right? We are here planning a church. And I said, we are not going to let, you know, your or whatever disappointment show today. And it just, you know, and and he took it, you know, it humbled him. And Mm -hmm. I said, if it it helps, just don't bring it up. You know, we're we're here about Jesus today. So I I think that's somebody who he was, he's a very, he still is today, very black and white, very truth focused. And um, just me as a pastor, um, trying to lead him into a place where, you know, grace and love has got to be a part of your uh, persona in ministry yeah. as well. So yeah. I think in that moment, you know, I won't say all the time, but he, you know, he definitely at that moment fit very well into that upper uh, left quadrant of legalism. And, yeah. and I think the pat the, the story that Patty shared, unless you have another one of oh. the girl that you met with, oh. where you're just you spent a whole day yeah. in Rocky Mountain National Park yeah. hiking with this girl who's a lesbian atheist, mm-hmm. and definitely demonstrating to her um, the love of Jesus mm-hmm. because she yeah. stays coming. She keeps on coming. So she knows we love her, Yeah. but she has said comments mm-hmm. like, I know you guys believe differently than we do, yeah. than I do. You know, I know yeah. you don't approve of my lifestyle, but, and she's, you know, she's said, basically I have not found love anywhere else. Like I find here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she, she's been eating the bread of life since, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can do whatever I want. You know, my truth is my truth. You know, love is love. That's the way the world thinks right now. Right. And so that whole bread of license is so alive inside of her that it's really hard for her to, to accept that maybe I'm wrong, you know, because my truth is my truth. So even sitting with her in the car last night and, um, yeah, just trying to show her, I just realized all of a sudden that that convergence of grace and truth was happening in me. As she said, I just don't like it that your God does not agree with me about this. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I don't like it either. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't like it that love is not what you think it is. This easy, beautiful, easy love that just makes people satisfied and happy and just keeps everybody just kind of happy. You know, I can do whatever I want because it's still love. And I just said, I don't like it either that I have to tell you that it's wrong. But I said, I love you anyway. And I know yeah. he loves you where you are, but there, love is deeper than just making you happy and making you comfortable. Love is actually knowing what's best for you, you know? So yeah, it's like, it's hard. It's it, but it's a beautiful thing when I, cause in my heart I was, I was weeping and I was, and as I spoke to her, I was broken because she could tell, and I could tell, you know, I actually love this person, yeah. even though they don't know Jesus yet. And even though they're, they're so angry that he doesn't agree with them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I've heard, I've heard it said that Jesus, Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. That's right. That's uh, right. You know, because he offended people that were truth tellers. Yeah. And he also, because he would hang out with the Pharisee or the, not That's the right. Pharisee, but the, but the tax collector, you That's know, he right. invited Zacchaeus. I want to go yeah. to your house out of all these people. 
that was very offensive to the religious people. But then on the other hand, people who, you know, would be considered uh, liberal or whatever, uh, you know, it, it's offensive to say what you're doing is not, it, it's not God's best for you, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And yeah. so, and that's, that's part of the challenge. Yeah. Um, what about lawlessness? Any, is, is, do you have a tangible example of that or lawless bread? You know, so each of these quadrants is also represented by one of the yeasts yeah. that Jesus warned about. Jesus also warned about three yeasts. Um, he warned about the yeast of the Pharisees, which is legalism. He warned us about the yeast of the Sadducees, which I believe is the yeast of is the bread of license. And then he also warned us about the yeast of Herod, which I believe is the, the yeast of lawlessness. And honestly, I, you know, I'd, I'd be interesting what people, how people respond to this, but um, I do believe that the modern evangelical church has been feasting on the yeast of Herod because the yeast of Herod um, chiefly is a very political spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeast of Herod would lead us to a place where we want to win um, at all costs. Um, that's, that's what Herod was. He wanted to win. And if it took killing a whole bunch of like babies, you know, in Bethlehem, I'm going to do it. Um, if it takes beheading John the Baptist, I'm going to do it. If it takes killing uh, uh, James, you know, the book of Acts, uh, I'm going to, that's, that's Herod. And so Herod is very politically minded. Um, we're going to get ahead. Um, we have to do this. The Herodians were people that had somewhat of a relationship with God, but they had a deep allegiance to Herod and that political party, if you will. Um, so the yeast of Herod, I think, is very, uh, it's very uh, insidious. And I think, it, I think it sneaks in and we don't realize it. And uh, we end up being more nationalistic than we, than we are Christian. And um, I think we're right. s- sadly, I think, I think it's easy for us to see maybe the yeast of uh, the Sadducees or Pharisees, legalism and license, and uh, we can point them out, but we might be pointing at them from that position of the bottom left quadrant, not even know it. You know, so the bottom left quadrant isn't to me somebody who doesn't know God. I fear it's somebody who does know Jesus, but they, they haven't been ingesting the yeast of Herod, and they're more committed to a political ideal or outcome than they are about the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. Because Jesus had every opportunity to speak to a political environment because nobody had it worse, I think. Maybe some people have had it equal, but nobody had it worse than the Jewish state in the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Here they are, a nation of people that are chosen by God, given land, but yet they're not in control of their own destiny. Yeah. They're not in control of their own leadership. They are under the control and the rule of Rome. And so if anybody at any point in history had a chance to speak and have a have a dedication to a political movement it would have been jesus yeah, his, own people. his own and his 12 disciples said you know they they thought for three years he was there for political purposes mm-hmm. nationalistic purposes but he wasn't he was there to establish his father's kingdom and in his prayer he did not tell us to pray lord let our nation succeed Lord, let our nation win. Lord, let my political leader be the one that rises to the top. He Mm -hmm. said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're praying anything differently than that, I'm afraid that we've got the yeast of Herod bubbling up inside of our dough. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I just feel... I am terribly uncomfortable with this conversation. I'm so glad that we're almost out of time. Oh, wow, wow. 
Wow. <laughs> I thought awesome. I'd save that to the end. You know, I'm not. Dude, one, that I'm is like. Of, I don't have a lot of, of boxes, but. You know that that one was. Hey, yeah, J- Jason's right. We're almost out of time, so this is your answer on this has to be really quick. I, I know that I've been thinking about since since you wrote the book. I read it, and and I've been thinking about my own life, and I find myself really frustrated with myself. You know, I feel like some days I'm a, I'm lawless. Some days I'm I'm in the license, I, and some days I'm, you know, I, I'm uh, whatever the other one is. You know, I'm all. I feel like I, I I'm imperfect, but really quick. Um, I mean, once in a while, I feel like, yeah, I, I was right there with Jesus. I was right where I needed to be, you know, love, love and truth or grace and truth balanced. Um, just any quick example of where you've seen that, maybe somebody in your team or something, you go, man, they, they're getting this um, to wrap it up today. You know, I, what comes to mind right now is First Corinthians 13. The very first definition of love given by Paul is love is patient, mm-hmm. um, patient. And I heard somebody say the other day, they were praying for patience and they said, the Holy Spirit said, what are you praying for patience for? That's actually a result. Why don't you pray for love? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think love is, 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 can only be t- defined by grace and truth, you know? Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we get to a place where we're at that convergence? Um, I think, you know, we, we say, okay, Lord, how do I become more patient? Um, mm-hmm. How do I become more kind and a practical out, uh, expression of that is being able just to listen. You know, it takes patience to listen. Yeah. It takes listening is a gift. It's a kindness mm-hmm. and, and being willing to listen first. Um, yeah. You know, Stephen Covey wrote a book, seven habits of highly successful people seek first to understand. And then yeah. before you're, you know, before you seek to be understood. And I think those moments where we make ourselves listen, um, that's that's what helps us grow in grace and truth you know mm. it's silencing our tongue when we want to speak truth and um and just instead i'm, I'm going to listen i'm going to grow in grace in this moment mm-hmm. i think that's where it, and it's, it's a holy spirit thing you know it, we have to we have to allow him to develop that in us um yeah so good so good i'd Man, thank you both so much. And 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 while, while we haven't had a lot of comments dropping in the chat, but we have had a lot of affirmations and thank yous. And so uh, it makes sense to me knowing you, Paul, just uh, when you speak, man, uh, there's so much uh, truth. There's so much wisdom. And uh, and then uh, you really brought in the heavy hitter, Patty. Thank you. Uh, in fact, my favorite quote of this entire hour was you saying to your friend in the car, me either. That just me either. Just the willingness to listen. I, I like the quote that listening is indistinguishable from love. It's experienced as the same thing. And uh, and here you are listening, loving. And and then also when they're saying, I, I am mad about this. You're like, me too. Me too. I don't like <laughs> yeah. it either. Uh, just so like with, you guys are with the people of Boulder. You've been with us for this last hour and we're so, so grateful. Everybody in the chat is saying, excellent. Thank you. Uh, if you want to connect with Paul, you can connect with him. Uh, you can check out their church. You can buy his book. That is all at pauldurbin.co. And if you are interested in shift 10 of this book and re- of Steve's book, Next Wave, uh, you can grab the whole book at nextwave.community slash book, or there's, you can even download this chapter, chapter 10 uh, at nextwave.community slash reconsider core values. 
There's a couple of that's free. In there. That's free. That's free. The PDF of this chapter is free. Uh, but you can also grab that book or be a part of our community. I mean, please lean in next wave community. I know Paul's in there. Steve's in there. I'm in there. We're talking, uh, on the weekly about things just like this, Steve, we're out of time, but, uh, thank you again for your help and, uh, and setting all this up. Thank you to everybody at exponential Paul, Patty. Thank you so much. God bless. We'll see you guys soon.